Let's get past them every day. I think we're going to do a great job. What's going on, guys? Welcome to the Modern Man Podcast, where we connect men in pursuit of their potential. Join us as we embrace discomfort, cultivate community, and put wind in each other's sails. If you're ready to take your personal and professional growth to the next level, be sure to like, share, and subscribe to the podcast. And don't forget to check out the Noble Knights Mastermind Group, where you will find a group of men and the support, the accountability, and the mentorship you need to achieve your goals. Join us and become a part of a community of like-minded men on a mission to improve themselves and elevate their capacity for life. I'm excited to get wind in our sails today. It is my pleasure out of Greenville, South Carolina, to introduce Clemson baseball alum, Grant Cox, on the podcast. Grant, thanks for being on, man. I appreciate you having me, brother. I've been been looking forward to this for, for a while, and um, man, I'm glad we're on here. I appreciate me you too. having me. Likewise, man. And um, b- before we jump into this conversation, which I, I know is going to be a great one, uh, I want to make sure that I step out of the way, may- give the audience and, and the guests a chance to get acquainted. So I'm, I'm going to give you the microphone, give you the stage and let you talk to the people really quick. Tell them who you are, what you do, and we can kind of unpack more of your story. Yeah, man. Um, no, I appreciate it. My uh, like you said, man, I'm Grant Greenville, uh, born and raised uh, Clemson baseball alum. I was there from 16 to 19. Um, Citadel grad soon. Uh, I always loved the Citadel. A lot of my friends were cadets. A lot of my best friends were cadets. So they went through kind of the, kind of the process there. I did not. Um, so I graduated my MBA here in about three weeks ish. So pray for me. Um, I got you. <laughs> yeah, man. Huge man, huge man of faith. Uh, I got all my family here in Greenville. My girlfriend has all of her family here in Greenville. So we're, you know, we're full, man. We, uh, we're blessed. Um, and yeah, just excited to chat with you, excited to share, you know, our hearts together and, uh, you know, hopefully whoever listens to this, you know, hopefully we, you know, we, um, make them, make them better, inspire them in some way that's, uh, inspire each other. That's what it's all about. So I'm grateful to be here. Absolutely, man. Um, I'm going to jump in head first on the deep end, if you don't mind. Let's go. I'm ready, man. What defines you? Man, I would say, you know, my my faith, like I hope people, when they see me, they can see like kind of my testimony and what I've been through in my life and what our family's been through in our life and understand that there is hope, that there is faith. Like with, you know, I always want my name to come up in someone's testimony. It might be one person, it might be a hundred people, I don't know, but just one person like, hey, Grant Cox, he changed my perspective. He changed my life with how he, not how he handled the good, but how he handled um, the bad um, and kind of turned it into, turned tragedy into triumph. Uh, And uh, yeah, man, for my name to come up in someone's testimony, for my girlfriend to think the world of me, for my family to to be proud of me, um, that's what, that's what matters most to me, man. That's what defines me. Yeah, I'll tell you what, man, I've I've chased the dollar, I've chased women, I've chased um, a lot of vices in life. And some of the things that fill my cup up the most is when I can look at my wife and and know that she's taken care of and happy and safe, right? And and look right. at my family and the love that they have around me. Um, I mean, that's, that's, that's better than any paycheck um, that anyone can ever receive. And you mentioned the ups and the downs. Um, 
And I want to talk about, I guess, kind of life being a roller coaster that that ride up your lifelong dream, uh, running onto Doug Kingsmore Stadium. What was the inception of that, man? What was the inception of the dream, and and I guess the pursuit of that dream, and how it all turned out? Yeah, man. Uh, well, I was born in '96, and the pursuit started in '92. So my dad, and I say that for this, my dad had season tickets at Clemson baseball um, ever since 1992. And so I literally one years old, my dad, he always tells people this, but he uh, literally changed my diaper in the bathrooms at Doug Kingsmore Stadium. And we would go back out there. He had uh, he had seats right behind home plate. And I mean, when they were home, man, like. You know, when they had a home series, we were there Friday, Saturday, Sunday. We were there Saturday, Sunday. It just kind of just depended on what we were doing. But, you know, the whole dream, the whole goal started when I say, like, I'm a true Clemson fan. Like, I had no other choice, man. And when and, I, and I'm grateful for it. Um, I'm grateful for it. So that dream started when I was little, literally getting my diaper changed in the bathroom to, to watching you know, my favorite player was Cleo Green. That's who I idol. That's who I idolized. He was a shortstop as well, and I was just chasing him, man. That's what I wanted to be like. I wanted to literally run between those white lines and uh, and put on. And you know, it started. I would say, you know, I had a kickstart with, you know, baseball. You know, probably four years old, and. It was all I cared about, man. Um, not all I cared about, but I was obsessed with it. And that's kind of um, what I tell people now is for people to get to a certain place, for you to really accomplish that dream, you have to be obsessed with it, especially the game of baseball that is so, it's such a game of failure. It's such a game of like, there's not any other sport to where if you succeed 30% of the time, you're you're considered a Hall of Famer. You're considered a great yeah. Um, you have a 30% field goal percentage in basketball or 30% passing percentage in football. Like you're probably not playing. You're probably not going to play. You might not even be there. So, um, baseball has its ups and downs, man. I'm so grateful for the highs, the lows, but it was a journey, um, a good journey for the most part to get there, man. So it was a, it was a dream come true, but it took, uh, it took a lot. Quick tangent. What? Um, just for any nuggets, any guys watching right now, because I, 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 I know a few baseball players who are good friends in my life and they all have the same type of approach to life. It's kind of interesting. You're all very particular about like how things are done and, you know, by the book. And I think there's a utility to that. I feel like that utility applies to baseball, but what was it about baseball that taught you about failure and how to approach life? Man, I would say that in baseball for me, it was, I knew, especially, and, and this was low when I was older, when I was, you know, when I was younger, even like middle school, high school, if I didn't get like two hits a game, I was just like, what am I doing? What's going on? You know what I mean? I just yeah. had the expectations, even summer ball, the expectations I put on myself were far more, for, were far higher than anybody put on me. Like, I think I was my hardest critic. I was, you know, I feel like I held myself accountable throughout, throughout everything. And, you know, I was obsessed. So I think I found that in 
the work that I was putting in, you know, and the faith that I did have, you know, I was like, man, I guess, I guess the Lord just didn't want me to have two hits today. Cause I knew I was putting in, I knew I was putting in the work. Um, so <laughs> it, I kind of, my backbone was the work that I was putting into the game. Um, I knew that I went up if I went over four, um, that it wasn't going to be because I wasn't working. And I think that's, that's part of life. Like if something's not going right, even in work relationships, you know, it's the, the work you put in. And I know you, and I know you know this, and a lot of people know this, but you know, work is work. And sometimes, you know, sometimes it's harder, um, than mo on some days. So, um, it's important to just keep going, man. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and you got to put in the work. And I, I've been saying this saying for a while, you know, uh, even if they're not there to see the work, they're going to see the work. It yeah. just might not look like work. It might look like ease to them. Yeah. <laughs> absolutely. I agree with that. Absolutely, man. So what was the feeling like when you finally ran out to the stadium? And I want to mention that without overlapping the fact of turning down the, the chance to play for the Cincinnati Reds. Yeah. versus going out to run on that field for Clemson. Yeah. What was it like finally running out there and then even take us back to, you know, the decision to turn down that opportunity to stick, to stick with your dream. Yeah, no, man. Um, yeah. Running out there. It was, I remember I ran out there it was my first time, like, and, 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 you know, we ran out there, you know, just, just like in our shorts and like when we first got there, we'd go play catch. But when we like, you know, my first run out there was you always have inner squads, you know, and it's like orange versus purple. And that's where like, you're really trying to earn your spot. It's all, you play like 40 games against each other in the fall. And then, you know, season starts, you know, in the February timeframe. Um, so like the first time you run out there, man, it's just like, I remember sitting at shortstop and I was like, it was an inner squad game. And I think for all of the freshmen, it was like, you know, this is our first time putting on the stripes and kind of being a part of this dream being a part of Clemson although you're playing amongst each other and I remember just sitting out there like and I and I vaguely vaguely remember I know exactly where my dad's seats were and I was just like standing at shortstop looking at those seats knowing that like I used to sit there and dream about being where I'm standing right now and it was just like I don't know man it just kind of <laughs> overwhelmed me for a second um I definitely had the jitters in a way and um but man, it was, it was fun. I miss it. And yeah. then going back to to high school, it was such a, it's a, it was such a crazy process because, um, like I I tell people all the time that that are that are younger that are going through the high school stuff that are going through you know college recruitment that are thinking about um, signing with an advisor, um, you know, just just in high school, especially when the draft and stuff is going on. It's it, my thing. I'll say this before I kind of touch on it, but my mom and dad never missed a game. They never missed my brother. They, my grandparents, they never missed a game. So I wanted to, I wanted to play somewhere close by. This was like kind of the essential decision. I wanted to play somewhere close by where they could watch me play in my dream. And so that's why, you know, Clemson was the dream, but that's why I kind of turned, you know, down, you know, the Reds, um, and it was tough. 
because at a certain point you're like, man, I'm not, I don't want to go to college. Like, why would I go to college and be, sit in a classroom and then play? But at the end of the day, it's, it is a business and essentially we did what was best for us, which was fulfilling our dream. And then, you know, hopefully three years later, just running it back, just doing it again. So it's definitely a lot goes into it, especially like family, the, like the Reds came and visited my home. My mom cooked, you know, them dinner. And it was like the regional scout, the, the area scout, the regional world, like the Southeast director. Um, so it's, uh, it's different, man. It was a different process, but you know, it was a process that I'm glad I went through. Um, but you know, man, I, I don't, I'm not the type of person that lives with any kind of regret because it was a, it was a lifelong dream. Yeah. And, and you fulfill that dream. And I know we mentioned the roller coaster ride, the up and up and up. And, and there, there are downturns to, to life. What was the first, I guess, drop that hit for you after, after the realization of that dream? Yeah, man, it was, you know, it's, it's one of those things where injury is sometimes inevitable in sport. Um, and especially with how you play, I was a very like, you know, I threw my body wherever to, to make something happen, to make a play, to do this, to do that. You gotta um, sacrifice the body. <laughs> yeah. I was that, I was that guy, man. Like truly I was that guy. And, uh, that's just how I played, man. That's how I was wired. I would run through a fence. I would run over a fence. I would run over somebody. It's just how I was. Like I just. That was my mindset. And really my first down, as you mentioned, was um, as you, well, you mentioned up, up, up. That was kind of my freshman year. I was playing really well and I was, you know, slated to start as a true freshman. And then, you know, I die for a ball and, you know, I feel something in my right shoulder and I didn't say anything for probably two weeks just kept playing because I know something was wrong. Like I've never, it's just never happened. And I knew something was up and I was starting and we had like maybe a month left. Um, and then it got to where I couldn't throw a baseball, like 10 yards, 15 yards in front of me. And so I was just like, my goodness. And so I ended up having labral, labral sur surgery. So I had my shoulder repaired. That was my freshman year. And it took, you know, six months or so to recover from that. And then we ended up having a rehab stints and summer ball uh, with Lexington County blowfish down, you know, like two hours below, below me. But that was my first real down, man. I'd, I'd never had surgery before like that. So it was, it was eye opening. It was, it was eye opening for sure. How'd you handle that? Man, it was, you know, I might be saying this too early, but I was so just, I knew I was working hard. I knew that I was doing the right things to put myself in a position to start. And this was just like a God thing. It was, um, this was, this was not meant to happen for me. You know, this, this, you, you have, you have to almost convince yourself from that or you'll just, you'll drive yourself crazy. Yeah. Um, and I remember being out of surgery. So shoulder surgery is tough because literally you have this huge pad that's like up underneath your arm and like you're sitting literally like this and you can't lay down when you sleep you literally have to sit sit upright you have to sleep upright like you're sleeping in a chair and I just remember waking up man and 
um, I was kind of going through it. Once I kind of got, you know, clarity and a peace of mind, uh, I remember I was at uh, my parents' house after post-surgery and it was like, we were like two days out and my mom came in the room. She was like, how are you feeling? It's like, I'm good. And I kind of just sat there and we were just kind of having a heart to heart. And I was like, well, you know, I'm just glad that this happened to me and not anybody else. Like, I was like, I'm glad this was me and not one of my teammates. Um, that, that was how I felt about it. I don't know why. Um, I know I love my teammates. I know I was willing to do whatever for anybody. But that just kind of came over me. That was my perspective. And I kind of carried that throughout every surgery, which is a lot. Um, I kind of just carried that throughout. Do you think that's, um, well, I'll ask it this way. Do you identify yourself internally as a leader? I do. I do. Yeah. Because that's, that's something like a leader would say is, you know, like, like the take the arrows type thing, right? Like the, yeah. the leader's job is to take the arrows and, you know, if any harm is going to come to the team, um, we we take it because we we identify that I could I could probably handle. I would rather I handle this than this mess somebody else up or derail yeah. them. Yeah, absolutely. And that's that's how I felt, man. Truly, all the way through. Now, the arrows didn't stop coming, though, did they, man? No. No. If iron sharpens iron, so does one man sharpen another. But if you're a man and you're alone or listening to this, then who sharpens you? What's going on, guys? Ted Thayton here, host of the Modern Man Podcast, also founder of the Noble Knights Mastermind Group. And I'm just out here encouraging you to find your circle. Maybe you're on a personal growth journey and nobody around you understands the new mentality that you're possessing. That's okay. You can find an online community that will pour into you, will navigate your goals and navigate your obstacles, share their experiences, resources, and more. Join the Noble Knights Mastermind Group and try us out for free to tap into a community of men helping each other scale up and reach their goals. Check out themodernmanpodcast.com. No, man. I think the arrows were getting sharper as they, as they, as life went on. Like it was like this one was kind of dull. And then it was just like, I was just getting, I don't know if you've ever seen this picture, but it's like a, it's like a wolf and he's just kind of sitting there and he just has 20 arrows, 20 arrows in him. And then it's like families right on the other side of them. It's like one side's just blood and then his family's safe on the other side. Um, so yeah, man, they didn't, they didn't stop. They were coming. It seemed as if they were coming in like threes over and over and over again. What well, what were the ones that I guess stung the most? What was, I guess in the process, what I'm trying to think about is for a lot of times, for a lot of us, we go through hard times and we, we get to a point where we're like, man, this, this has to, this has to end sometime soon, right? Like this, there has to be a light at the end of this tunnel. Like this can't be the quote unquote new norm. Cause like setbacks happen. And I think people who aren't too, too uh, attuned to it are like, Oh man, this that's life. And it's like, no, you don't want to hear that when you're kind of in the, in the brunt of the storm, that's life. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So How'd you how'd you navigate those arrows as they started coming and like what what were the ones that I guess were the sharpest that that hit the deepest? Yeah, man. I mean, you know, once again, I had I had good people around me, um, and that helped. 
but you know also you know it was just me going to bed at night it was just me waking up in the morning so i had all these thoughts you know just especially you know you're doing everything you can after an injury any athlete any person hopefully is doing it everything they can after an injury to to get back better to become better you know obviously it's going to mold you a certain way and it's going to callous you a certain way mentally but physically you're like am i going to be the same is this going to be the same is this like what what is it going to be it's almost inevitable that you that that you think that way um so my goal you know just right after shoulder shoulder surgery was just i'm going to be as stronger stronger than i've ever been i'm going to be the fastest person this that i'm going to come back stronger and i did um there were struggles in the process you know like your shoulder swells you start playing again it's super uncomfortable it gets tight you die for another ball and it kind of just you know it almost feels like something's wrong again but it's but it's not it's just you getting used to kind of this like you know it's it's still even though it's a six month recovery and you're fully back man takes a year plus for you to really feel like comfortable with it that's every person that's everybody um but to answer man i had that surgery i had a um i started to feel um we were doing exercises um in jervy meadows and if you're clemson people you might know what i'm talking about the softball field's actually there now um, but it wasn't there. It was just flat land when I was there. And we worked out there a lot. We did a lot of agility stuff, a lot of one-legged hops um, and stuff like that, man. Normal stuff that we're used to. And my roommate was behind me at the time. And we were doing this like one-legged hop drill. I never will forget this. It's vivid. And, you know, he heard it. He heard something in my leg. I felt it. I didn't hear it, but he heard it. He was like, what was that? And I was just kind of like walking. Once again, I just didn't say anything, you know, but I knew something happened. I know something. I knew it did. So I start kind of walking. They're like, you good? I was like, I'm good. And I was just kind of like walking it off. And I was kind of feeling up my leg to see if it was like, I didn't know if I tore my Achilles, which I didn't, um, but I just didn't know it sounded like that. And so, you know, we get to the end of our workout and we're running hills and all that kind of stuff. And then a person's walking behind me and they're like, Grant, are you good? And I was like, yeah. I was like, I turn around. I'm like, yeah, why? And through like a, my baseball sock and my pants, which unfortunately Clemson's pants were like hella tight. So it wasn't like anything crazy, but my leg was that swollen. They saw the bottom of my leg. That's how swollen it was. So I was like, oh my goodness. So I ended up getting about a nine ounce mass removed from my leg and, you know, it was tested. Luckily it was benign. We didn't, we didn't know, but you know, we were lucky in that fact. We just weren't, we just weren't sure what it was, but a nine ounce mass, you know, something bigger, probably bigger than your fist um, gets removed from your leg, man. It, it's different. That's when, that's when the shoulder surgery was like, Oh, in my head, it was like, it was just a shoulder surgery. and you're you know this all kind of happens and you get diagnosed and you have surgery you don't really know what the future is going to look like there's people telling you like hey you'll be back in this you'll be back in that but it's like me and you talked during the pre this was a nine ounce mass removed from your leg and like me and you talked there was no literature about this there was no real recovery 
And I'll tell you this, what's eye-opening about this injury for everyone is I would be doing rehab at ATI in Greenville, and I was doing rehab in Clemson as well. I would show up for rehab, and I would go sit on the table. But he would, we would start just with like small stretches, get loose. And there would be like three white coats around me, like three grown people, men, women, white coats. And I would kind of sit there, kind of laying and like peek at their name because, you know, their name and usually who they're with is right here. Man, it was people from like, it was doctors from like D.C., doctors in Baltimore, Chicago. They had heard about this surgery. They had heard about this injury and they were coming to write their own literature about it. Just wow. through my recovery, just how I was recovering. Like they were staying in Greenville, coming with me all week, five days in a row, and then kind of making an analysis about what I was like during this stage of the rehab process for this injury. So yeah, that's like kind a, of what in my eyes. Yeah. As far like as how a case study. And... Exactly. Like I was getting a case study right there. Wow. Um, that kind of opened my eyes with how rare it was because it truly was like no one. The doctor always told me, he was like, Grant, if you hear about this, if you hear about this injury or this kind of surgery again, I need you to call me. He said, wow. because you hear about it again. And yeah, man, that was, that was, that was rough. And then, you know, I could just keep going. I could probably talk about this for an hour. Then I had, you know, hip surgery at 19 years old. And, yeah. um, you know, before that, and this is kind of when it does get deep, Ted, is when you talk about, you know, which ones hurt the most as far as arrows. As you're rehabbing for this ma uh, mass, you know, being removed from your leg, it's, um, it's already tough because like the lows are low and the highs, there are, there are barely any in that process. Um, as you're going through that process, I, I was really struggling, get, just getting back to normal. I lost feeling and my kind of left part of my leg, like below the knee on my on my inner side of my right leg, I lost feeling. I lost feeling in my toes. I still don't have feeling back in my toes. Um, so like a bunch of things again were kind of just going on from this from this mass being removed. Mm. And about I would say six months or so after the surgery, um, we were tested for. Not not compartment syndrome, but chronic exertional compartment syndrome, CECS, which is, you know, way more detrimental than compartment syndrome is a big deal. It's 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 a big deal as a whole. But when you have chronic exertional compartment syndrome, meaning you've had it for a while, but it's just now being diagnosed, that's when things get pretty bad. And that was on February 14th that I was diagnosed with chronic exertional compartment syndrome. And the way they do it. They have a big gauge, like literally they have to grip this gauge like this and has a needle and they kind of stick it in your leg. And then if you're above as far as pressure wise, so it's a lot of pressure internally that pushes outwardly and chronic exertional is kind of bad because it pushes on your nerves. It pushes on your arteries. It pushes on your muscles. And so that's why my feeling was being shut down. And once they stick this gauge in you, if you're above like a 0 0.30, you have it. Like you have compartment syndrome, you know, you're going to have another big surgery. And mine was like, I looked down at it and it was over 0.75. That's how bad mine was. Dang. And so we knew when we were diagnosed with that, that playing was going to be 
playing again, playing baseball again, was the discussion was on the table as if we were going to or not. Of course, in my mind, I'm like, I'm never going to stop. I don't care if I have one leg. Yeah. But the NCAA is mine and the ACC is mine and Clemson's mine. It's a little bit different. So I was medically disqualified by the NCAA and that was my career. I have no more eligibility. My career is done. I think I'm 20. And that was on February 14th in 2018. So we understand that. We get diagnosed with that, disqualified by noon on February 14th. And I'm, you know, I go back to Clemson. I talk to my team, you know, and everyone was kind of involved with my injuries and stuff like that but they didn't know it was like this. And no one kind of what I realized is no one really knows how bad it is until you hit them with that news. And, you know, we, I go to practice. I didn't practice obviously, but I was at practice and then I get back to my phone and I have tons of missed calls from my dad, my mom, my brother, family. And I'm like, what is going on? And that was where um, Luke, um, there was a shooting at Parkland, um, at um, Marjorie Stoneman Douglas in Parkland, Florida. And that was where my cousin, um, Luke Hoyer, was. He was one of the 17 victims killed that day. And to put it in perspective, that's my mom's sister's youngest son. That was her youngest of three. He was 15 when he was killed. And so you take, you know, everything you've worked for that we kind of talked about on the beginning of this podcast, and it's all crumbled in one day. Then you take, you know, one of your family members being murdered. Um, and that happens the second half of the day. So it made me realize how little baseball is and how big family and life is. It completely switched my perspective. And honestly, man, between, you know, you and I, and I know people will listen to this. I don't know if it would have changed if that didn't happen, to be real with you. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. It made me, it completely changed my life. Um, and it completely changed my family's life. Obviously we still, we still deal with it. So that was, that was rough, man. It was rough. I can imagine, man. And I appreciate you sharing that with us and, 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 and going there because I know it could be hard to relive. And I mean, it's just, how do you, how do you pick up the pieces from that? And and you know you I know you mentioned you, you know, still deal with it. I can only imagine. What does it look like? Um, you know, taking those worn out tools and and starting to build again. No, man, it's and that's such a great question. It's you rely on family. You lean on each other your, your, your boys, your friends that you have, like Chandler, my girlfriend, I lean on her so much. Um, and she's, you know, my, she's my rock. And I wish she was with me when that did happen. We just didn't know each other yet. Um, I believe she would have been there, but I wish I had someone like her to, to, to just talk to, to just lean on. Cause as, as men, inevitably, we kind of just bottle it up. We don't necessarily express it. Um, and that's how my dad is. That's how my brother is, um, which is okay. But, and that's how maybe you are. And I, and I was like that for a little bit. I still am in certain ways, but yeah, man, it's, it's gradual. It's, it's, 
I'm still trying to figure that out, man, just with how everything happened. It just seemed like my whole life in one day just went. And, you know, once again, it's me sleeping by myself. It's me waking up. You know, those thoughts are still, there's just a million things going through my head. Who'd you talk to at the time? Man, I talked to, um, obviously I talked to family a lot. I talked to, you know, and we're close anyway. Uh, but I talked to mom, dad, um, talked to, you know, obviously Abby and Jake, who are Luke's older brother and sister. Uh, I talked to them a lot um, throughout that process. And, you know, my my boys that were at Clemson, um, like Jake Higginbotham, I know Kier Meredith was there, Alex Schnell, Patrick Cromwell, Chris Williams, Jordan, um, Higgy, it, 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 they were all there for me, man. And there's more than that. Um, but it's uh yeah man it 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 almost it, it was rough it was rough still is when i went on your page and one of the things i saw on the top things you mentioned was um not taking things for granted and and li living with gratitude how how do you how do you put that into action each day? I think it's, um, it, everyone talks about it that every, everyone talks about, you know, today's a new day. You know, we need to be grateful for today because we don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. I live that. And I say that because, and, and you know what, that's not true. I do my best to live it. I still make mistakes. I still kind of take, I, I, honestly, I'm, I'm a human being. I do take things for granted sometimes that I shouldn't. And then I, and then I realize it and I'm like, you know, I need to do better. Um, I'm constantly, you know, carving myself and becoming better. Um, at least, you know, I try to, but man, when something like that happens and it rattles your whole world, it's, you appreciate the small things. It doesn't take much to, to kind of, it doesn't take much to really set you on fire. It doesn't take much to, to grow, you know, something in you, even when it's like small things, man, like, like when it's, when it comes to, you know, enjoying just family, being off your phone, when it comes to working out, when it comes to, to, to this, to that, like me, like when I work out, I do like sets of three or four, but my reps are at 17. I'll always do 17 push-ups. I'll always do this. I'll always do that. So I do my best to honor Why 17. Go with the the 17 that were that were killed. Mm -hmm. And uh, I just honor them in that way. And I have I have tattoos, man. And I got I got Luke and honestly it's people that have passed away in my life. And I have the number 17 and it's kind of in Marjorie Stoneman Douglas colors, which is kind of like a black and maroon-ish, not like Carolina maroon, but like a little lighter, a little better looking. <laughs> and uh, people ask me all the time, they're like, is that your jersey? Was that your number, jersey number? And I'm like, no. And, you know, it's just informing people, you know, about, like, I, I enjoy telling people about Luke, telling them how he is. I used to struggle with it, but you know, it's, it's, you feel him each day, you do your best each day to, you know, he, what he's looking down, he wouldn't want us to take anything for granted. So you do your best, man. If you wouldn't mind, what's, um, 
Uh, what's a, a fond memory of Luke you think everyone would love to hear? Man, that man, he was he was hilarious. Um, I, oh, I'll tell you one. So I'm competitive, man. Like, I don't like losing anything. Like, it can be a painting contest. It can be decorating a tree. It can be running. <laughs> like, I will, something will happen. I'll pull my, I'll be the guy that pulls his hamstring. Uh, <laughs> I was, I think I was probably 18, 17, uh, you know, and I thought like I had life figured out. I was, I thought I was a man. And Luke liked basketball. He played basketball and football. Those were kind of his things. And um, I, at the time, before Luke passed away, he was just as tall as me. You know, he's 15 and I was 20 and he was just as tall as I am, like 5'10", 5'11". And, you know, he started, you could tell he was getting, um, he was a little bit shorter than me and we would play basketball. We play horse. And we were down there one time, man, and his family had like this courtyard and it was like, they lived down in South Florida. So they had like the pool, the courtyard, and then like the net, uh, the screen. And uh, we were down there, man. We were playing to like 11 and he beat me like 11 to seven. I never will forget. It was 11 to seven. Oh man. And I was like, did you say we're playing to 15? And I kept pushing the score. I kept pushing. Like I thought, Oh, we were playing to 11. He was like, I was like, oh, we're playing to 15. He was like, no, it was 11. He was like, we always play to 11. I was like, I thought you said 15. And I kept trying to push the number. And man, I was so mad. Like, I was so mad. <laughs> I'm telling you, it almost ruined my trip. It was like once I got there. Um, but he 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 whooped me, man. And he continued to whoop me. So that was that was a fun, you know, a fun memory, even though I was I was mad. You know, it makes me it makes me laugh now, man. I find I find joy in it now. Yeah, I appreciate you sharing that, man. How how can we take the advice from you and you know um, love people while they're here, not when they're gone? Man, I think it's to to one word to sum it all, man, is forgiveness. I think forgiveness is it's known, and people do their best. And, but people, a lot of people hold a grudge. A lot of people judge people by things they don't know and by things that, you know, rather it be, it's not true. It's not this. They don't truly know the authentic person. Um, and it starts with forgiveness. I think if you're able to forgive and we're forgiven, you know, every day we do, we pray, we pray to be forgiven. And I think if we can just take that and forgive the people around us, you know, even if it's stuff that we don't understand, you know, it, it sets, I tell, I tell it, I post it, I tell it all the time, set yourself free. And that's forgiving people. Don't hold on, don't hold on to it. Um, and I think that's where it starts. So mm. loving people while they're here, man, because it's cliche, but you truly never know. That was the last thing that we thought was ever going to happen to us. And it did happen to us. And so I know what it's like to I wish I would have reached out to Luke more. I wish I would have texted him more. I wish I would have spent more kind of intimate, like brother, you know, time with him when I was with him. Um, and so I, I, I'm a huge, I'm a lover. Like I fight for what I believe in. I fight for the truth, but I also I'm a huge lover, man. And I forgive people. I think it's so important um, for yourself and for for them, man, because, yeah. you know, we're here. I mean, we make mistakes. We're not perfect, but I think is if you can forgive people, 
And that ties just right into to loving them while they're here, man. You know, we're all not going to be the same. We're all not going to be what we're all not going to be what people want us to be, but we're going to be ourselves. And so it's important to love people for who they are and love them while they're here, man. And I think it starts with, you know, to be able to do that, man, you got to have a clean heart and uh, forgiveness is the root of it. Yeah. Coming up on some of our time, last, last couple of questions in the podcast, you mentioned, you know, your lover, you're going to, you know, fight for what you believe in. Um, And we talked about a little bit before hitting record about how sometimes, you know, doing what's right isn't always popular. Fighting for what you believe in might not always be the, um, the, the optics of the approach might not always be well received by others. How is that um, proven to be another, I guess, another learning point in your life? Yeah, man. And it, you know, it's, uh, we all make mistakes and we all, um, you know, do our best in every, in everything that we do. It's, uh, it's, it's very human-like. And matter of fact, the people that I love the most are, you know, under construction. You know, they're constantly under construction. They're constantly working on themselves. They're, they're never satisfied. And that as a whole, I love. But when it comes to, you know, even when it comes to back to my last point, setting yourself free, I think it starts with the truth. And you, you see yourself in the morning. You see yourself in the mirror every morning, every night. Every time you look at yourself, you see yourself in the car, you see yourself. So it's important to be proud of that. But it's also important to live your truth and, and also fight for what you believe in. And, you know, it was just like we were talking in the, in the pre. It was, you know, you add all the stuff with, with injury, with, with this, with um, another injury, with another injury, with, with Luke with another one of my teammates passing away at Clemson with two of my mentors. One was my hitting coach since I was sixth grade. They pass away. You take all this, man. So it's, it causes you to be broken in ways. And then, you know, back in 2019, my brother and I were, you know, falsely arrested for doing what a anybody would do, but also doing the right thing. And what we were raised on, which was to protect family, protect women and make sure the people around you are safe. And that was something, you know, uh, a headline like ex Clemson baseball player, da, 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 da. And it was just so vicious, man. And it was so just uncalled for and ugly and nasty and something that I would never do. And then you get brought out like that. So then what happens? And so you know, we just, we knew the truth. We fought for the truth. We're still fighting for the truth. And, and that's something you have to stand on. You know, everyone tells you to stand on something or me and Trey, when me and my brother, when we were kind of just going through all that stuff, man. And, and, uh, we have it, we have a quote on our bracelet and it says, if you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. And we kind of kept that but we kind of kept that as our thing. Like, Hey man, we stood for the right thing. We protected, you protected your girlfriend. I protected you. We protected each other. We were just trying to protect everybody. And then we kind of get thrown under. And, uh, you know, like we talked before, we're not the first ones, man. It happens. It happens a lot, but it's just like I told you too, man, it's all about the truth, but it's all about forgiveness too. Like what happened? I forgive. 
and I have a clean, clean slate, clean heart. And that's what it's all about is chasing, chasing your truth. Absolutely, man. I, I want to make sure um, our audience can, can continue to follow you, root for you and see you um, continue to triumph over those, those arrows, over those downs um, and, and get that inspiration from your testimony to help them with theirs. How can they follow contact and connect? Yeah, man. Uh, Instagram is great. Um, I'm always like, I, I get on Instagram. I, I care about connecting with people. Um, Grant Coxie, C-O-X-Y-Y is my name on Instagram and, you know, reach out to me there and we can, you know, I love connecting with people. I love chatting with people. I love hearing people's story. Um, I love telling, you know, my testimony as well. Um, cause you know, like we said, if, if one person can be like, man, I, I heard what Ted said, I had, I heard what Grant said and it, it impacted me. That's, that's what's, that's, what's the most important, especially nowadays, man, we're, we need to lift each other up more. I agree, brother. I, I agree. And I, I can't resonate with that more. And that's, that's why I do the podcast, right? And, and it's to lift right, each man. other up and the men listening, we're, we're here to lift you up as well. Um, I'll have that link and and your website and all that in the show notes for for folks to open that up and just get right to to some of your sources. Um, and, and the last question, I, I feel like we might have already touched on it during the episode, but just an opportunity to address it directly. I always ask this and it's, you know, what is something that you've seen or something that's happened to you that shapes the way you view the world as a man? Um, that's a good, that's a good, uh, question, man. I feel like I could go like a few routes with this, but <laughs> I would say for me, um, to answer that, I would say that, you know, for, on a personal note that, you know, when, when you have to run your race, and everyone has a different race that they're running. Everyone has different goals. We might all be on the same team, but everyone essentially has different goals. And it was just like, when I was injured, man, I I felt love and I felt the community and I felt the uplift, but it's also, that goes away. And it you have to really find out internally who you are and what you believe in and you have to stick to it man you have to stick to your guns and that's what i would tell people out there if you're going through you know injury or a death or you know you're laid off or something like that man you just always 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 have to remember who you are what you believe in what you're rooted in and you know the person that you're next to you never know what they're going through you may think you know but you really don't and um, to, to, to carry your life that way. And, you know, I'll say it again, man, if, if I can change one person's life with, with me being vulnerable, it's important. It's important. Yeah. Uh, that's when it comes out. So I would say just to tie it in injury, you know, telling your story, it's important. You never know what someone's going through, but also, you know, what what everyone's been through is important. It deserves to be shared. You never know who you're going to teach. You never know who is going to feel your love and who's going to need it, man, because um, it is needed. Mm -hmm. And that's something I try to just, you know, 
keep at the forefront. Yeah, absolutely, man. I appreciate that. Out of Greenville, South Carolina, Clemson, Clemson baseball alum, Grant Cox. Thank you so much for being on the show, brother. Yeah, I appreciate you, man. I really do, brother. This was this was great. Thank you. Likewise, man. No, thank you. No, I appreciate it. And I'm going to share a couple gems really quick that you left along the way. Um, when they see me, see my testimony, right? A, lo a lot of us tend to hide the things that we go through, especially as men. I mentioned the armor uh, analogy, that metaphor of we try and wear a clean sheet of armor, but a clean sheet of armor has never been to battle. So when you don't show your vulnerabilities, nobody really sees the battles that you've been through. You have to be obsessed, whatever that that dream, that goal, that 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 audacious goal that you've set for yourself in order to achieve that greatness. A lot of times it will take your obsession, especially if it's a competitive arena in which other people are in. Am I going to be the same? The thought process after an injury, also being able to put the work in. I love it when Grant said the result of the game, if I went 0 for 4, it wasn't because of my work, but the work was there. Much like a guest prior to on the podcast way back, I think you'll like this, Grant. He says, your, your, your efforts and your dedication belongs to you. The outcome and the results belong to God. All yeah. we can do is put in the work. Lean on your support system. When you start taking the arrows, if you're a leader in your family, a leader in your group, a leader on your team, if you're just a leader of your own life, you will take arrows. And when that happens, who are you going to lean on? What is your support system? And have you set that up? Those thoughts, understanding when you're going to bed alone, when you are by yourself, those thoughts, you want to pay attention to them, but don't let them run wild. Talk to someone, share with somebody, focusing on forgiveness, appreciating the little things, remembering to love the folks while they're here, give them the flowers and also understand, hey, we're all under construction. I'm a work in progress myself. I'm still putting things together. And if you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. Find out who you are what you believe and continue to stick to it guys thank you so much for making it to the end of this podcast grant thank you again we appreciate it brother and for anybody who enjoyed this episode the best compliment you can give us is by hitting that like button that share button to share it with somebody you know can get value from it as well uh and be sure to hit that subscribe button so you can get a new episode each and every single week and leave us a rating to let us know how we're doing. And it really helps the algorithm, helps us out too, so we can keep this podcast going and sharing these fantastic stories with you. And as we always say at the end of the episode, guys, everybody wants the sunshine, but they don't want the rain, but you can't get the pleasure without first the pain. Let's grow. Let's get back to the day. I think we're gonna do a great job.